This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I am joined today by special guest. Uh, I've got no day with you this week, so the resurgent Christian Walsh. How are you, mate? Not too bad, thank you. A bit disappointed in David. Yeah. Slacking over the over the Christmas break. Well, to be fair, he came in on Christmas Eve on his day off. So, <laughs> you know, we can't, can't be asking for much more than that. Like. No. No, you, you've been there for both, though. Yeah, well, dedication, mate. Christmas doesn't stop you. No. Speaking of Christmas, did you have a good one? It was good, mate. Yeah, not too bad, thank you. A little bit too many uh, celebrations, as in the chocolates. Um, other miniature chocolates are available. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I'm just looking forward to, to hitting the gym in 2020 and, 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 and sweating off all those pigs in blankets. Yeah, I mean, one thing we certainly have, certainly could enjoy was the Reds. Um, two wins over the course of the, the Christmas period. Leicester and Wolves, which we're going to address. And we're going to look ahead to Sheffield United. Maybe touch upon the derby, but... Something about the domestic cups nowadays, you just you don't feel it feels like from the perspective of people high up in the club, Klopp, FSG, it just feels as though they don't matter. I yeah, don't, I don't know. Me and you were playing up front in that game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we've we've got an opportunity there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we'll get we'll get into it. Anyway. We'll go we'll go we'll go for Leicester first. And pff, I mean, what can you say? It, it, for me, it was um, one of the best Liverpool performances I've I've seen. I think. I was I was at the King Power and you knew when you were watching it live that it was it was something special was unfolding from from minute one. You know you've got the Trent shot, you've got the Mane miss, um, you've it, got Salah where he blazes over, and within five minutes it could have been three 0 Yeah, it, it was really from minute one, wasn't it? It was um, straight away. I think we had something like two or three shots inside the first five minutes, and you could tell we meant business. Um, I, I've spoken on this podcast before. And I wrote a piece about it that I think Liverpool almost have like gears mm. whereby like we just we do enough based on whatever the whatever we're presented with sort of thing. And it felt like we looked at this as this is a big one. So we turned up with like gear four, gear yeah. five. A bit like the Man City home game. Yeah, yeah. But Leicester just maybe Leicester deserved a lower gear or something because uh, we, we we really did dominate from start to finish. Um, we predict well. We had predictions last week, me and Dave, and Dave's got this thing. He doesn't want to go down the Mark Lawrence route, <laughs> so we predicted the one old draw. I think, but I just had this feeling that we would really demolish them. I, I don't know why. I just think we're a nightmare for this for this Leicester team. And I predicted three one. Um, obviously, it went down a four nil route, but I think it it, it definitely followed the, the dominant path whereby we were just in control for the whole period for the whole period of the match. I think people were expecting a much harder game because of the narrative that was surrounding the first game where, you know, James Milner's penalty uh, I wouldn't say it was a fortuitous penalty award. It was uh, it was a penalty. Um VAR was 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 spot on there. Um but because it came in the in the last moments of the game, I think people viewed it as a as a lucky win when in, in reality Liverpool dominated Leicester pretty much from start to finish in that game. I, I know David spoken about it on the podcast before about that game and how it felt like Leicester were always in in with a shout despite. Yeah. But and I don't know what he means by that because it was very tense in the ground as well. But I think ultimately, if you look at how Liverpool dominated Leicester against uh, sorry Leicester at Anfield in uh, September October, I think it was. 
this was always a, not a likely scenario, but it was it, it, it shouldn't have been written off because even though it was at the King Power, it was something that Liverpool could could definitely deal with. We know Leicester have been overperforming um, quite heavily, both in front of goal and, and at the back. And, you know, it sort of started to regress the mean a little bit when they lost to Manchester City. I mean, it didn't I think, really matter against Liverpool because they had two shots in the mm. entire game. But, you know, it, it's ultimately, they are a very good team. They're not as good as maybe the table suggests and Liverpool are, are, are ultimately that much better than them. Yeah, I think, you know, facing the likes of Liverpool on the game and Man City, they do seriously impact the numbers of teams just on on their own single-handedly. Matches against Liverpool and Man City have a big a big dent on your, on your numbers. So to face Liverpool and City back to front, is gonna take gonna give Leicester a real hit. I, th- I think in in the first game at Anfield, I think when if Enton was fortuitous, it was their goal because mm. they scored from the, their first shot of the match. I think it's seventieth minute or so. Um, and I, th- I think you know since I've gotten into the whole analytics thing, I think I've almost learned what what to value during the match and what not to value sort of thing. And it, although Leicester did have territory let's say the end of that final third quite frequently they, they, they didn't produce their moments it was they, sterile they, yeah no no air end product no no shots the actual things that will get you goals it just didn't come so I didn't expect this to be that different I, I did think they'd put up a bit more of a fight than he did that on field but it ended up going the opposite way I mean you know a little bit on the numbers it was Liverpool's highest XG of the season in the Premier League we were expected to score 3.2 goals and it was our lowest expected goals against in the Premier League uh, 0.1 against and I think that was a total of three shots um, in two matches against Leicester Liverpool have, have, have amassed a total of 33 shots in two matches Leicester a total of five um, three of those from outside the box so I'd it it really is dominance. When when we talk about in the on this show about like, you know, the whole the whole concept of dominance whereby you you take plenty and plenty of shots and you present the other team from taking any if you if you can. This epitomised that really, didn't it? I think what it was as well, you you talk about the, the, the XG there in both games and the and the and the low amounts of shots. I think a team like Leicester and this is you know, this is to to their benefit a lot of the time, not to the detriment, but Rogers has got them really well coached. It really struck me actually just going off on a tangent watching the uh, the old firm game uh, yesterday and watching Celtic now compared to Celtic under Rogers and the the they're the pretty much the same team, but you can tell that they're just not as well coached. Yeah. Like yeah, he's a good yeah. coach, Brendan Rogers. Um you can tell that he's a far better coach than Neil Lennon and, and, and that showed in the in the performances of Celtic the last couple of times I've watched them. Yeah. Um in that sort of game. But they're almost too well coached sometimes and I think when Liverpool come up against a team like that it's almost like the game plan's really easy to telegraph Yeah. so basically what Leicester have been doing all season is providing Jamie Vardy with, with chances and okay he's been very good at putting them away but they have been creating some high quality chances for them and his conversion rate through the roof what that means is always that Liverpool can prepare for that. And exactly, from, the, yeah. from the second Liverpool were on the plane coming back from Qatar, I'm absolutely certain that they would have been having a plan to snuff out Jamie Vardy. And it worked to perfection. They didn't get a, a single opportunity. And sometimes Liverpool might 
struggle against a, a team which maybe isn't as well coached. You know, I mean, they dealt with them perfectly recently, but, you know, like, say, like a Burnley, where we've said variance is, is the, the key, really. Um, you know, when you're coming up against a side that is so well coached, you can... You can Guess how you're going you to combat see their that. Patterns, can't you? Yeah, exactly, and that's why ultimately Vardy didn't have a sniff. Ultimately, the Tillemans and and you know we'll talk about Madison in a bit and the, the change which I found baffling. But you know Tillemans and Madison didn't really get an opportunity, and 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 the fullbacks were very much quiet as well. So that that it played into Liverpool's hands the fact that Rodgers is actually a good coach and, and and he has a very distinct style of play. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, spot on there. I think. The whole, I think what what Rodgers is trying to do over there, he's trying to build his own game, sort of thing, have, have give Leicester an identity, so that when they go onto the pitch, they can they can play their own game, sort of thing. That's why they've been so good when they've come up against ten men this season, because ten men above any other other footballing situation gives you the platform to okay, go and do exactly your utopia of Impose football. Impose yourself, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the problem is. Coming up against Liverpool, so defensively good. Um, just evidence ingrained in every single player, just the intricacies and Salah, Firmino, Mane up front as a front three are able to single handedly defend, you know, about six players just by cutting off passing angles and certain things like that. It's why Liverpool do so well against Man City. Now the difference with Man City is is that they have Unbelievable players yeah, individually. Above, players, above yeah. you know, yeah, unless they have got really good individual players, but they're not as good as Liverpool's. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think specifically as well, City's central midfielders in particular. You know, Kevin De Bruyne, Fernandinho, David Silva. Usually, they're obviously high, high quality technical ability and awareness of what's going on around them and things like that. So you can, it, it's trickier to make those players panic in comparison to maybe. A, a James Madison who's learning the game and Ndidi who's strictly a defensive player most often Tillemans again he's very, 22, 22 years old is he or something like that so I think it was an admirable performance sorry it, what, what, what Leicester's doing is admirable because they're, they're going down the right path but they're still firmly at the start of it and to come up against this Liverpool team it's going to be difficult to play your own game on your own terms against this Liverpool team is going to be tricky and you're not going to be able to play through as, as easily as you want. Um, but, you know, you mentioned there we will touch on their formation briefly. I, I said last week I, I had a feeling that they'd maybe play a diamond. Um, you know, the whole split strikers thing that mm. Rodgers likes. And I thought that would be his ploy of presenting a problem to Liverpool behind our full-backs. Obviously, we use full-backs a lot to go forward. And I thought he'd maybe put Vardy and Inia Nacho behind... Trenton Robertson he didn't do that he went down the 4-1-4-1 route but Madison on the left you raised this earlier in the season didn't you yeah I did, did he, he, he did it early in the season seemingly to include Hamza Chowdhury he seemed to like Chowdhury but gradually moved away from it it worked when he moved away from it and for whatever reason he moved back to a similar thing at the King Power on the weekend, it's just and it just didn't work because what happened then is that Madison drifts in field, which is almost like the if you can imagine what 
I don't know what Coutinho was doing uh, at Liverpool when he was playing on the left. It's that kind of role, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. He was drifting in to, to sort of act as the ten from from in the half space, as, as Rogers likes to call it. Um, but the the problem with that is that it, 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 whereas you'd think it would help Chilwell, it doesn't actually, does it? Because they're sort of getting in each other's way, and and he's taking up the positions where Chilwell would actually quite like to play make, and it doesn't really really work. But what I don't get though is you're up against Trent Alexander Arnold. Mm. That's what I didn't get about it. So if you're playing a left sided midfielder who's more than inclined to cut in sensefully and vacate the left, what happens if Trent gets the ball yeah. on the break? He's, Which he did he, many he, times. Yeah, he did. He's not got that right sided, uh, he's not got that, that left sided Leicester midfielder to come up against. Mm. It, it was a complete free three dive forwards up until he finally reached Chilwell on the edge of the box or whatever but you would have thought about maybe I don't know I'm not an expert on Leicester but you would have maybe thought about playing Perez yeah maybe because you know, yeah. he feels like he can play that sort of defensive forward role grave and all Brighton yeah he yeah, actually did well when he came on he did yeah who did he come on for do you remember I think it was Harvey Barnes yeah he, that was it he played Harvey, Harvey Barnes on the right didn't he mm. But I, I just I can't get my head around that one. I'm, I'm not exactly certain on what what his thinking was. Maybe he's thought, you know, in that in that area of the pitch, Madison will be a greater threat than Trent will be. I but think he's probably I thought the that space, and we you know we'll talk about the Wolves game. That space between Gomez and Trent can still be a little bit of a, a problem for Liverpool now and then on the back foot. So yeah. I think he's probably wanted to to flood that area. But Liverpool haven't given them the opportunity and it's pretty much left Trent one-on-one with, with Chilwell. It's like, funnily enough, I was walking into the ground, so sort of walking around the ground and I overheard a couple of Leicester fans um, discussing and, and they were bemoaning the fact that Madison was on the left. Yeah. Because they were saying, that looks like it's Madison on the left, I can't believe he's done this. So yeah, it no, just shows you that it's something that's obviously an issue for, for, for Leicester and, and, and one that he's, for some reason, gone for. Yeah, it was a really strange ploy considering you're coming up against a right a right back who's his team's playmaker for me. Um, I I, could, I just didn't get it. I did, didn't really didn't get it. I think the other thing as well when you have a player like that, and we see, we see it with Coutinho, we saw it in a weird way with Milner when he was a left back, but he was ultimately playing that sort of role for Liverpool in sixteen seventeen. Their main weapon at that point is that sort of cutting in back onto your right foot and putting in the, the in-swing and cross but where's Van Dijk yeah. Alison Becker it's 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 not it's not going to work it's it's not it's it's meat and drink for for for, for players like Van Dijk and, and even Gomez who's, 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 who's getting better in the air so yeah I felt it was very much a a mistake from from Rogers. I thought if he maybe he was also worried about the, the midfield three. If he goes with Tillemans, um, Ndidi, and, and Madison, that Liverpool could have outworked them and and stifled the the threat. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just looking at just looking at the lineup here. I mean, on the on the left side of his midfield, he's got Madison left wing, and then the left side of the centre midfielder is Tillemans, mm. and then on the, on the opposite side. He's got Harvey Barnes right wing and Dennis Pratt on the inside. And I'm just thinking, maybe he had the perception of play all your best players on the left mm. to somehow cause Liverpool's right Pro- yeah. problems. So Vardy dips over to the left and joins up with Madison yeah. and Tillemans and Chilwell, but it just didn't work out that way. It just 
you know. You look at you look at Leicester's one to eleven. It's strongest one to eleven, and I'd probably include Perez in that. Probably, yeah. Um, just. But you look at it, but you're looking at that, and you're going, Harvey Barnes. Okay, he's he's a good young player, but he's nothing to be scared of. Um, you know, you've got Madison now, sort of out of position. You've got Dennis Pratt, who is for me is hasn't really shown anything other than being a, a tidy footballer with absolutely zero output. That was that was my conclusion of him. Yeah, when yeah. I when I wrote about him you in know, the summer, that, that's so so. You know, the, the, from, when, from when the team, you know, you, you feel, felt a lot better when you saw the team and how they set up. Well, yeah. I, I still don't think we could have guessed what would have happened in the next ninety minutes. Not just the scoreline, but the just the the, the the show of dominance and control that Liverpool had. Yeah, yeah, no, it was uh, it was a little bit strange, but um, you know, fair play. I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool imposed their own game more than Leicester did. <laughs> but you know, we've just mentioned Trent Day. Might as well move on to him. Was that his his best performance in in red or yeah? I think it was un- it was unreal. It was just what you saw there was a a generational talent. Yeah, that was in my piece this dictating week. the game from, from uh, nominatively a, a right back position. But let's face it, he was he was ultimately a a number ten if you wanted to call him that. Um, you know, he was stationed out on the on the right, but he he was he was absolutely everywhere. I wanted to point out, you know. It was a clear ploy by by Klopp as well. Henderson passed to him fourteen times. Gomez ten, Kater ten, Wijnaldum seven. Every time they got the ball, it was just a case of give us the strength. He's in space here. Um, it's it's that whole free man thing, isn't it? Yeah. If if passed to a free man and progressed through him, mm. and every ma- every time Trent was the free man, which is again what I can't get my head around from a Rogers perspective. Why would you allow that? Mm. Why would you allow Trent of all players to be the, the, yeah. the free man? Yeah. I just didn't get it. Like, it was a, it was, it was an incredible performance. I also think Kesa helped them a lot in that sense. Um, Were you surpri- surprised he played? I was, I was surprised he started because he he played a hundred minutes in the final, yeah. Um, yeah, which is obviously yeah. a lot more than he's played for for a long time. I just felt because of the way they lined up, and again because of the way, as you said, um, with. Um, the, the 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 better players, if you will, for Leicester on on the left, yeah. it, it allowed Casey to pretty much dictate. They kept on going towards him. He was progressing the ball, um, and therefore it was leaving Trent in, in bundles and bundles of space. Um, I was really impressed, and I know this is predominantly about Trent, but you know you look at someone like Casey and it's, he, he 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 did seven out of his eight take ons successfully, which just shows he was taking players out the game, and then that was leaving Trent in bundles of space. Um, Keita had eight eight dribbles, eight dribbles, seven of them successful. Take on even that, like a, a dribble for a central midfield, is quite rare. So to do eight, eight in a single game, yeah, it's again another player who's technically generational. Yeah. Keita, I mean, he's a weird player. Mm. You don't see many many players like that who can dribble in central areas and offer loads going forward, loads on the defensive side and. Real all round and Abby Keita. Sixteen of his passes were in the attacking third, and I'm pretty sure because he, he passed the Trent ten times in that game. Pretty sure ten of those sixteen were to Trent because you look at his pass map and it's all in that area of the pitch. Yeah, um, it certainly would have been a, a vast majority of them. So, you know, uh, but it, it, it was a, it, what everyone gave Trent the platform, and this is where this is what's exciting to me at the moment about about some like Trent. It's clear that. Liverpool are one of the best teams in the world, but now they're starting to bring in the individual brilliance and and, and the fact that Liverpool have, have always somehow managed to remain as a, as a team, 
but also give individuals that platform to play. They did it with Salah in the first season that he was here. Obviously, he scores 44 goals. To a degree, they've done it with Marnie, Firmino, help with Van Dijk. But now they're starting to give Trent that platform. They're not really... It's not like they're cutting off other players. It's not like... I always thought, you know, you're going back when it'd be a case of give the ball to Gerard, who gives the ball to Owen under Julier. This is going back years. And you'd have almost Emileski and Danny Murphy and all these players completely non-entities because it was just those yeah, two. Exactly, yeah. Liverpool are playing through Trent, they're getting Trent on the ball, but you've still got Mohamed Salah, you've still got Roberto Firmino, you've got Sadio Mane who are still doing the things they do. Yeah. Got Andy Robertson on the other side. It's just that it's it's an incredible balance that they managed to strike. Yeah. Well that, that's it. I was listening to a podcast actually on the way here today. And yeah, you know, they said that like it's almost for player of the year, say for example you did a, a Premier League eleven, Liverpool would have a shout for every single position. Mm. But if you were to do the whole player of the year, who's been the best? You wouldn't really know who who would it be, but who's it's, Liverpool's it's, best player? It's why, well, I, funnily enough, I wrote about this today because Sadio Mane is the favourite for player of the year. Oh, okay. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold is favourite for young player of the year. That's nailed. I, I was nailed on. I mean, Rashford's second. I mean, to be fair, Rashford's having a decent season, but it's nailed on that. Yeah. However, um, for me... Over the course of the season, I would say it's probably neck and neck between Mane and Trent as Liverpool's best player. Yeah. So if Trent's winning the young player, then surely he's got to be on the shelf for the for the main player. What I think might happen if the season continues how it is, is a little bit like 0809 with Liverpool when Gerrard won it. Even though Man United won the league, because I think there's going to be so many good performers for Liverpool. I think the, the votes will be split and I think Kevin De Bruyne might win it. <laughs> because I think someone will, some will go for, go for Mane, some will go for Salah, some will go for Trent, yeah, some will yeah, go for yeah. Henderson, Van Dijk, Allison, and eventually you, others will just go, well, I can't really pick a Liverpool one on their own, so here it is, Kevin De Bruyne. I honestly think that's what might happen. Yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, for anyone that wants a little bit more info on Trent, I've been, I've been publishing quite a bit of content <laughs> on this week on my Twitter. Uh, if you check at Distance Covered on Twitter, You'll see a thread. I've done a, a few data visits on him, just to capture how different he is from the average fullback, especially Wan Bissaka. Yeah, especially <laughs> Wan Bissaka. Yeah, and I posted another two today for Europe's top five leagues, and even compared to European fullbacks, he's in a different league. He's so, the best fullback in the world, isn't he? On the ball, yeah, without yeah. doubt. He's a, we'll talk about this, I suppose, for the Wolves for, game a, a, for a team ball. that is a possession-based team. There's no, I don't think there's a fullback in the world at the minute right now that you'd pick over Trent for possession-based like a. Obviously, Marcelo's got shouts from years gone by, and mm. think. But I'm talking right now; mm. he's a, he, unrivaled for me. Joshua Kimmich was the player that showed up for me as probably the closest in terms of what he's doing. But it's again not to the level Trent's doing it. Twenty-one, um, twenty-one years old, yeah, scouts. Yeah, like. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, but we'll move on anyway. In fact, no. Just before we move on, one point that I want to make: I found it. I found it interesting how, how Leicester just could not progress into Liverpool's final third. They kept breaking beyond Mane and Salah and Firmino. But then they'd, they'd be forced back again. And they, they just could, they couldn't progress forwards. Mm-hmm. And they played um, they played 50 progressive passes at Anfield. So a progressive pass is just a, ball, a, a pass that moves the ball considerably forward, basically. Um, they only completed 33 at the King Power. Um, which is fewer than he can he completed at Anfield and their joint fewest of the season um, level with you know the, the Christmas fixture with, yeah. with City at the Etihad so uh, I just think it's 
it was amazing. You mentioned before about patterns of play and things like that. I think Liverpool fully knew Everton to expect regarding Leicester. They knew how to stop them moving forwards. And it, it worked its feet, really. I, I, I thought the, the most impressive 15 minutes I've seen from Liverpool in a long, long time, and, you know, I'll include, you know, spurts in Europe and, and, and you know, obviously they've blown away City um, in Europe in, in 15 minutes. But it was the 15 minutes just after uh, this, when the second half started because yeah. Leicester could not get out. And that's exactly what you're on about there. It was it was unreal to see. They would get past the front three and then Keita... Wine Aldum and Henderson just kept on mopping up and, and, and the roar from the crowd. And you could tell at that point Leicester were just clinging on because they were just like, please, can we just, please, please just hang in here? Ironically, they did and then they, they fell away. I was going to say end. then, they did hang in, but then they conceded three in seven minutes. Yeah. So. But but despite those seven, sorry, despite those three goals in seven minutes, I, I was most impressed with that forty-six to sixty-minute mark where, and then I think he brings on Albrighton, and I think it he changes slightly. But for that fifteen minutes, Liverpool were, were genuinely relentless. Yeah, they were unbelievable performance, mm. one of the best I've seen, and you know epitomizes exactly what you want from a team. Basically, shoot plenty of times, have lots of attack, and keep your defense quiet. And that was exactly what Liverpool were. Field on the Blood Red Channel. We'll move on to a slightly different game. Not one of the best games Liverpool ever played. No, much tighter. <laughs> uh, Wolves. So obviously we won the match 1 0, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, very tight game. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I, I thought it's the type of game where you just get out of dodge with the, with the three points by hook or by crook. Um, yeah. I, I think we should probably make it a, a public. Uh, announcement now I don't think we need to talk about VAR too much I think otherwise no. it'll take up too much what happened happened um, but it was one of those games where I think Liverpool were fortunate that Wolves had the 24 hours fewer um, to to prepare I also think if Klopp had the op- had the option to do this again I think he might have made a couple of more changes yeah I do um, it was interesting he could have gone down one or two routes he could have gone down the Everton route which was change four or five against the team that probably wouldn't change many um, or he could go down I remember it in 16-17 when they only had 48 hours in between when Juan Alden won nil against City on New Year's Eve then he went to Sunderland for the three o'clock kickoff on the second yeah, and they only made one change yeah. Henderson for storage I remember it really well too old, too old yeah. yeah they were absolutely gone by the end of it Um it was almost a precursor to the Villa game this season where it was kind of like Klopp just going, what do you want me to do here? You know what I mean? It, it's almost like the result was immaterial because he was making a point going, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But anyway, in a weird way, he sort of had to second guess what Nuno was going to do because you were thinking, is Nuno going to do what Klopp did in, in 16, 17 and just go again? Or is he going to make the changes? He made the changes and on paper it made them visibly weaker. But they but weren't. That, but they weren't, yeah. which was really, really interesting because if you look at one of the big things about Wolves last season, I think they had 97%. Of, I mean, this is this was on Twitter. No no verification here. But ultimately, I think it was like 97% according to Twitter of um, players available throughout the season. Basically, they didn't get injuries. They had the same yeah. 11 a lot. They were unchanged a lot. I mean, you could name them off now, 1 to, one to 11. Obviously, with the Europa League, they've had to bring in the likes of Vinagre, they've had to bring in um, Neto. Neto. Um, they've had to bring in... Then Donker's played a little bit more. Um, Traore is starting a bit more. So, you know, that kind of uh, play. 
um, where they've got to sort of rotate a little bit more. And, and because you were so used to that 1-11 to last season, you, you didn't think these players were, were necessarily up to the task. Someone like Vinagre, for example. Um, but, you know, they stepped in and, and performed really admirably. They were fresh. And ultimately, their game plan, I think, was stick until 60 and then we'll go for it and that's pretty much what happened Liverpool at the end needed needed the full time whistle they they needed the break Um, and it's one of those games where yet they had the advantage Liverpool because they had the extra 24 hours to to, to prepare Um, but I don't think it turned out that way no 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 that's what I think I think Klopp probably second guessed himself a bit too much and and, you know they got away with it Um, I think I think if we'd have been in Wolves' position, we'd have made plenty more changes and been a lot fresher. Mm. But because we had the day on them, we went for a virtually unchanged mm. team. Tiredness ended up playing a bit of a part. I mean, we mixed it up as well. We played 4 2 3 1. Um, Lalan played on the right. I think that was to conserve energy a little bit. I think that was to yeah, more maybe. keep ball, you know, just sort of a little less run into space and a little bit more. Can we not get as much, yeah. you know, in our legs as, as we normally would? I mean, we do, we do tend to mix it up against Wolves. Last season, when we went over there and won 2-0 at Molyneux, I think we, we, we switched it up there. I remember Keita playing on the left. Might have been a 4-4-2 or something. I possibly a was. It might have been, sure. might have, yeah, I think I remember that. Um, Salah was through the middle, I Yeah, think. I think yeah. so. Again. Um, but I distinctly remember Keita playing on the left mm. of the midfield. He did the same against Bournemouth a couple of days later, mm. I think. Um, but yeah, Mo Salah was as the nine. And... I, I, it didn't work particularly well. Um, it looked like it would at the start. The at the yeah. start, it looked like it would, but yeah. It, it. I mean, the XG on the day, it was 1.1 for Liverpool and 0.6 for Wolves. Um, obviously, that would probably be a bit more if the offside hadn't been included, mm. the goal that Neto scored. Uh, obviously, it got disallowed because of a celebration. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's but, it now. Like you just, just don't, you know what? Just, just don't start celebrating, lads. Oh, I see it. I see it in the. I see it in the NFL loads as well. Um, you know, because they're have, they're having a lot of problems at the minute with um, pass interference. I don't know. You know, if anyone listening or watching um, follows the NFL, but you know, pass interference. It's a little bit, bit like VAR where they sort of changed the rules this season and people are really struggling with it. And you just keep on seeing these these wide receivers celebrating touchdowns, and <laughs> obviously in the NFL the celebrations are even more ridiculous and. You know, it's just sort of a flag goes on the field and you go, lads, you, you, you're looking really silly. You yeah, know, you, yeah. you know, let's not celebrate till the points are given. But yeah, it's it, it was interesting you touched upon Lallana there. That's, I mean, I think Shaqiri was going to play there. I think that was yeah, probably was, the role. I think, was, yeah. I think he probably would have played Lallana in the midfield. If not, I think he probably would have given one of Wijnaldum or yeah, I agree. Uh, Henderson a, a rest there. But I can see Minamino taking that role. Yeah, I think that you know because he plays on the right for Salzburg a fair bit. It's it, it is on the right in a four two three one, but it's not really. It's kind of a little bit of everywhere. Interesting to see how Minamino's used, um, because I I think he'll play up until the end of the season at least as a rotation option for literally all of them. For me, and old man, I shall yeah, I? whichever one yeah. needs a break, Minamino will just basically come in and fulfil that role. I think he's very in that mould. Mm-hmm. Said to you a couple of weeks ago, didn't I? He's in the mould of a Firmino. Wijnaldum type, like a, you know, they're so off Pokemon, you know, whatever you want, whatever you want him to be, he will just mould into yeah. that and just he's got a very adaptable skill set, I think. Um, but you know, on the day, Wolves shot count was even. People, people that listen regularly will know I hate that. Um, it was ten each on the day, ten shots each. So, you have a go, we have a go. 
Usually Liverpool win those, but you, you're not keeping everything under your console. There's an element of, you know, it's left to chance, if you like, and I don't like that. They do like it. I mean, this would, won't surprise anybody because they've got Ruben Neves in the team, but they do like a pop outside the box, don't they? Yeah, they do. Like, yeah, I, they, they would really frustrate me as a Wolves fan because they're, they're creating some really decent openings, sort of 25 yards out from goal, and they just can't seem to... They can't seem to resist taking taking a pop, and against a goalkeeper who doesn't concede goals from outside the area, it just felt, you know, fifty fifty percent of their shots, by the looks of it, or may in fact no, sixty percent of their shots, I think, were outside the box. Mm. Only four from inside, by the looks of it. And two of those were out wide, weren't they? I think that two inside there was one where yeah, yeah, sort yeah. of an slices over. But yeah, it's it, it was one of those. I mean. I was actually quite surprised by 0.6 because it felt to me that Liverpool probably restricted them to, to even fewer shots. But I suppose it's the volume there where it's just sort of... Ultimately, but, that's only 0.06 per shot, isn't it? Yeah, but the thing is on that, I think that's important to, important to note because a lot of people will have said, you know, Liverpool were lucky and things like that and we were under the caution things. But as I said before, I think I've learned what's of value in a match and I've learned what is actually dangerous and that is not dangerous that's mm. not if you take that every game okay they have a bit of pressure on there's no okay the bit of territory in our final third and things like that but at no point was it really being translated into constant shots they had they had a, a moment where they had two shots from outside the box in about two minutes mm. both of them flew over the bar you've got to beat Allison from that distance by the way yeah and I just don't think Sometimes I just think like, you know, when it's being painted as Liverpool were a bit messy or Liverpool were under the cosh or the other team were a bit dangerous, I always look at the shots and the shots on target and the locations of them and I just don't think we were ever really threatened that much. I said, but Dave, through the week, any periods that Liverpool have that are bad, where we can't make the ball stick, the ball's flying everywhere or whatever, during those periods, they just seem to be phases that we get through. And those phases never usually involve Liverpool facing shots on target that are dangerous in dangerous areas. It just seems to be little phases that the ball's a bit messy, we just need to get through it. Mm. And that's it. Yeah, no, no sustained pressure in that sense. Sustained territorial pressure maybe, but Wolves are a very, um, you know, I think this was shown in the game, but Wolves, are, they really use the wide area as well, the overload, um and I know, they, you know, I hate the cliche of pace and power, but they, they are they're a physical team. Um, I mean, I must, say, I must say they are a good team. They are a very good team. With them. But, but what, what that does is it sort of plays into what you're saying there, is that, you know, they get into those wide areas, but then what? Yeah. So they might they might slash a, a shot into the side netting. They might throw up a ball. You know, they probably missed him in as a couple of times in, 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 you know, in before he came on. But you throw up a ball to Van Dijk. You know, it, it's, it's ultimately... You know, even the, two, the, the 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 one shot where you know Allison was called into action, it's a good save. But if he doesn't save it, you you've got a problem. Yeah. You know, you, you you're not happy with Allison for not saving it, and it's from out wide again. So it's interesting how Wolves set up because you know, look at the goal for example that 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 wins it, not wins it, sorry, for equalises against City. It, it comes from that aggression and that sort of relentlessness in a, in a wider position where Traore takes it off Mendy. Um, they just didn't get an opportunity to do that for Liverpool. And Liverpool are good at doing that and keeping them at, at arm's length. Yeah, I was, um, you know, I thought Trent and Robertson probably looked as as tired as they as they have all season, but that doesn't surprise me given how 
Wolves ultimately attack because they are very much yeah. down your throat. It wouldn't even surprise me if because they are very sort of wing focused and you know because they like to overload. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's why Van Dijk sort of had that little lapse of concentration because I think he was finally yeah, pretty well, easy it. for the games to be honest. And then all of a sudden, you know, they all into that false sense of security. I was surprised both of them started to be honest. I think Van Dijk will have. Um Wanted the challenge of Traore, me, and mm. I think when he started on the bench, I think it will have been a bit. Oh, I wanted that challenge. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think Van Dijk's the types of relish that. Sort well, of there thing. was there was that clip doing the rounds before, and wasn't it from Molyneux when yeah, he beat yeah. him in a foot race? Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on Traore? Out of out of interest, I'm. Sta- I think he's really really good. I think he's um, ridiculous to be honest. As a tactical weapon for a manager, I think he's a dream, and I think he's only very very recently actually learned how to apply his ridiculous skill set in a useful way on the pitch. But I think up until recently, he's had all his potential quality, speed, dribbling ability, but not had a clue of how to use it. And I think, you know, I think Pulis said a while back, he's a really talented lad, good kid, but he needs a lot of coaching. But this is the difference, isn't it? Ultimately, yeah, Pulis, also, he needs a lot of coaching. I'm not the man to do it. You <laughs> yeah, know what exactly. I mean? But he's still he's, 23, he's, I think. Yeah, exactly. And he's had, so where was he before? So he has, he's had, he had Pulis. Uh, Villa. He was, he was, they have a Villa. Was it Remy Gard, maybe? Maybe oh, someone else. Sure Tim you know. Sherwood, I don't know. Um, you know, now he's got Nuno, who for me is a very, very good coach. And, and that's all that, you know, you, you think of so many players sometimes. What would they be if they had a better coach? Yeah, exactly. um, and what that's what you're seeing with someone like Adama Traore now is you know you've got somebody who can harness all of his excellent attributes into a into a footballer. I think a lot of people, myself included, it's almost the the, the reverse for me. You know, in terms of you know, I think he was so overrated, Traore, that yeah, he became yeah, underrated. Yeah. You know, um, and I think that that that's you know everybody was really reluctant to say about Traore, he's a good footballer because. People thought that if you say he's a good footballer, you're just judging him because he's quick. Yeah, you know what I mean. But but now he actually is a good footballer, and he's you know he's he's an interesting one. I could see him playing right back for Klopp. Yeah, yeah. I think recently he's 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 taken on this mantle whereby you can tell these these players that they, they know they're the best in their own team, and when they assume possession, it's like I can't just pass the ball sideways. I've got to do something here, and I've got a level of authority over the ball. And lately, I've just seen that with Traore. He's just gotten he's getting that belief where like. I am a really, really good player, yeah. and th- I know how to. Actually, I know how to, how to win games. Did against City and tries to do against us. Yeah, um, um, and doesn't doesn't not skip a leg day. No, absolutely not. He's. I'd be <laughs> interested to see how he develops further from this because he's a really interesting player that is rare. I mean, he's, he's unheard of, really. I, th- I think he needs to. I think he needs to dial it back a little bit now. I remember when Klopp came in and he said about Joe Gomez, and he said he spent too much time in the gym. Yeah, and one yeah. of the big things is that he sort of made Gomez sort of put muscles in the right places. You just wonder at what point does. No, I've seen quotes of him saying he doesn't he doesn't lift. It's just completely natural, if you like, and it's hard to believe. But <laughs> one further point on Wolves that I'd like to make before we move on is the only goal of the game came from a ball over the top, which we flagged last week. Uh, I stated that Wolves conceded a couple of weeks ago to Brighton. I was watching the game. Uh, Neil Morpay, ball over the top, goal, simple as that. Liverpool obviously do it quite a lot and we we scored the open goal from that. So it's a, a really basic weapon, um, but it seems to be working this season. We've scored quite a few like that now. Mm. Um, you know, the perks of having central defenders that can pick out players like Van Dijk can. 
Um, you obviously got the Henderson in the deeper position. Yeah, Henderson's well. done it a couple of times, yeah. Uh, but we'll move on anyway, because we're cut for time this week. Uh, the echo, the echo, um, it's fully booked this room, isn't it? It is. The, the podcast room is fully booked today. <laughs> uh, if, you, if, you, if you're not happy about having your bumper of the Christmas edition, you know, normally there's Christmas specials and, and, and things like that on DVC, isn't there? Uh, if you're not happy, blame the view from the Gladys Street <laughs> podcast, which is an Evertonian podcast. Yeah. They're, they're all giddy about Carlo Ancelotti, so we, we've been cut for time this week. Yeah. But uh, Sheffield United, anyway, uh, for me, probably the side that I've least enjoyed watching Liverpool face this season. I think we found it very difficult against them. Really aggressive team in your face will not let you play forwards. And if you do play forwards, they'll be on your toes, forcing you backwards immediately. And Feels a bit like Wolves. Yeah. But they're like Wolves, but. I just feel a bit a bit more, and this is a compliment, a bit more English, mm. if you know what I mean. Really, really aggressive, tight to your man. Horrible team to face, yeah. just basically, do you know what I mean? Well, that's Manchester City. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean... I they well, won the XG yeah, the, at the SEAD. Well, I've got it as a draw, actually, ah. on on, uh, on the one we use, but uh, they're the only team all season in the Premier League to keep Man City below one XG in a game. So... This was, was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah, yesterday City faced Sheffield United, obviously, and created an XG total of 0.9. Sheffield United was also 0.9 on the day, based on what I've seen. Um, I know some other providers have got us more than that, but that takes some doing, especially at the Etihad, and I think it, it epitomises how, how defensively drilled this team is, how organised they are, the spacing between each player, just a, a really, really great team, I think, this, this Sheffield United side. It's a great story, and, I, and it really feels like... You've had these sorts of stories before, haven't you? Uh, and, I, you know, this is before analytics really rose, but you remember sorts of a team like Hull, for example, when they came up and they were riding high in fifth or sixth. And you think back and you think, well, yeah, but they beat Arsenal with, like, two forty yarders from Giovanni, and they beat this team because of an own goal. Now, this Sheffield United team... Uh, uh, are the real deal in terms of they, they deserve to maybe not be as high as they are but they certainly they are comfortably top half they are, yeah, they are tactically astute yeah. they are very good defensively the only thing against them at the moment maybe is that they lack a little bit up front but you know that but might be got- a byproduct of the game I think that Lee Smoose might actually be a really good player he's still only very young the um, thing is when you see they lack a bit up front they've got four Totally different strikers yeah. that like I was, I was gonna he bring just mix it up whenever yeah. he wants. Yeah. Well, the, well, basically, McBurney and McGoldrick were given the nice off against City, um, and they played Moussa and um, Callum Robinson. Um, oh, they've got five then because that's because they've got the, the Leon Clark as well, haven't they? No, I'm thinking of the the captain Billy Sharp. Oh, Billy Sharp as well. So they got six, got six because he yes. obviously could have scored off the bench as well last night. Um, so yeah, it's it it makes it hard to sort of know exactly what to expect. Um, on the on the strikers, I don't know if you know this. I was having a little look at them because, you know, I think everybody knows now about the overlapping fullbacks with with um, not Centre- overlapping yeah. centre backs with uh, Sheffield United. Everyone knows about you know Lundstrom and Fleck and, and Norwood, um, but uh, you know not many people know about the, the front the front two. Uh, McGoldrick, how many goals he scored this season? He scored none. What's his XG? It'll be reasonable, I know that, because he's uh, he's underperforming considerably, especially the open golf near the week. <laughs> Go on. Over seven. 
Is it over seven yet? Jesus. I can't remember an underperformance. Oh, I can't remember an underperformance like that in my life. No, that's Christian Manzeri comes to mind. As I say, I can't think of many others beyond Christian Manzeri. How can you? How can you? At this stage of the season as well, bear in mind, halfway through the season, he should essentially have seven and nineteen. Yeah, that's crazy. Up front for for uh, for Sheffield United, he's got zero. I mean, do you think that's just is is that a, is that because he's just a bad finisher or is it just a bad run of luck? No, I don't think he's a bad finisher. I don't know what it is. Uh, I saw last week he missed an open goal, but I don't know. <laughs> that's probably so, one. Yeah, you do get to a point where you start questioning yourself and you start dawdling and things mm. like that. But no, but the front, yeah. the front two, whatever front two partnership it is, whatever front two pairing it is, they, they always work well mm. off each other. He's got that McBurney as well. I remember he, is, he yeah. played against Liverpool for Swansea on Boxing Day years ago when he was a kid and he he was like a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah, yeah rabbits I mean, in the headlights, there, there in headlights. I think you can go with both. You can, yeah, rabbits seems more vulnerable. <laughs> he was, he was, like, he was a rabbit in the headlights. Yeah. Um, but he's, 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 he's becoming a, a decent, uh, a decent Premier League player. Yeah, but the strikers just they always wear off each other well. Whenever a long ball gets played forward, one seems to drop back, one seems to go forward. It's just that standard traditional um, centre forward play, two up top sort of thing. Um, they've got a mid-table attack based on the numbers, but. Their XG per shot is up there with joint best, I think. Joint best with City and Southampton. So they don't shoot a great deal, but whenever they do, the opportunities tend to be a bit more clear-cut than normal. Um, And defensively, they've got about the sixth best defence, according to XG, but they've actually conceded only 19, which places them as the second best defence, along with Leicester. Liverpool on their own now, with having conceded only 14. So Liverpool got the best defence in the league now by about five. Remember the uh, the arguments about the defence not being what it was? Yeah, yeah. I, know, I knew it would turn round, you know, I had faith, I had faith it would turn round. High lines and all that. Yeah, but I do envisage this one being a tricky one. I think the Anfield small pitch, back five, really, really well drilled, really difficult to play through and to play forwards through. So... I think this is going to be tough. I do. I think the only thing, well, I mean, there's a lot of things in Liverpool's um, favour in other than the fact that they're obviously one of the best teams in the world. But I think something in Liverpool's favour is when's the last time Sheffield United played four games of this quality in 12 days? Yeah. I think, you know, we're looking at the rotation of the front two, well, of the, of the four or the five uh, who play who can play front two. Um but they haven't really done much around that. So the centre-backs are all playing the same. The, the midfield's pretty much, I think, Lundstrom missed through injury yesterday. <laughs> um, and Bessic came in. Mo Bessic used to play for Everton. Um, so it's just one of those where, is, is this going to be one game too far for them because of the way they play? They're actually quite smart with the press, and it feels like they're not... They're not but that's the, what I mean. The, whenever, the, whenever the pass goes forward, then they then press they and they force you backwards yeah. and then keep the shape again mm. that's how they do it. it it negates the long ball a lot for Liverpool um, although Liverpool didn't it should have scored yeah, against maybe you want to watch the Mane um, you would think it negates them but but we'll see um, I think you know from a Liverpool perspective as well they've, they've, they've got to seriously think about because again a lot of the players they look very very tired towards the end of the game and what's this one two three the, the extra day will help yeah. Um, four days, so the extra game will the extra day will help. Um, but I, you know, I think you can expect to see Milner in there. I think you can probably expect to see Kater come back in. Um, it's a, it's it's just it's a shame that the likes of Oxley Chamberlain, Fabinho aren't around because that midfield probably does need a freshen up. I wouldn't be surprised to see Origi for no. maybe Firmino. Um, but I think Klopp will probably have to gamble a little less this time in terms. Of, I think he'll just. 
be confident in his own predictions and his own sort of selection and not really worry too much about what Sheffield United had to do. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult one to predict because obviously you can't, we have no real insights in regarding uh, fatigue and who's going to be rotated, who's going to be rested and things like that. But, you know, if most things go as expected, verdict, what do you think? Prediction? I, act- I actually think, I don't think Liverpool can win forever. <laughs> um, and I don't think that's about, I, I think that's absolutely fine. I, I think this might be a nil-nil or a one-one. I think it might just be, I think they're just starting to look a little bit leggy. I think you can't dismiss the fact that they were in Qatar a week ago. Mm. Um, And I just think Sheffield United can can frustrate them. Um, Nine times out of ten, I'd say Liverpool win this this game of football. Eight or nine, I'd say. Um, That's probably a bit too high. Probably seven or eight times out of ten. But I just feel like Liverpool, and this isn't, you know, I just feel like the time has come for maybe Liverpool not to to have a game where they, they dominate the XG and don't necessarily win. Yeah. Um, it's I think a, a lot of averages. You know, I don't believe in that because this is an analytical podcast, but I just feel like this might be the game where they drop a couple of points. Yeah, no, I know where you're coming from. I think I think I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for one nil. I do think it'll be tight, I don't think it'll be sticky. You're gonna have to be patient, be careful with the mistakes that you make if you're gonna make any at all. Uh but I I do think it'll be you know, a one nil, a close match like that. Uh, but we'll have, you know, we'll have to round up anyway. We are cut for time this week, so thanks for tuning in, Chris. Thanks for coming back. No, thanks for having me. Hopefully, twenty twenty, I'll be uh, back a little bit more, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm assuming the next one will in- in- involve Dave. I mean, I'm not entirely certain on that, but you know, we'll see anyway. Um, but thanks for tuning in, and see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red Channel.